Galatians chapter 1, and you can read there with me. We're going to look at the first ten verses. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised before... Sorry, I'm reading from the book of Romans. What about that? That's the other book that you should read, by the way. Yeah, those were not misprints. Let's try that again. Uh, Edit the tape. I'm just playing. Okay, here we go. Um, Paul. He starts out the same way. Paul, an apostle. Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Will you pray with me as we ask God to bless the preaching of His Word? Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for this night. We ask now that by Your Spirit that You would work with this Word and that You would open our hearts, that we might be able to hear what it is that You would have to say to us. Lord, would You please be with the One who speaks, that He would only say what is good and according to Your Word, that everything else might fall, Lord. We pray, O Lord, too, that You would become more beautiful and more believable after hearing uh, this Word preached. Lord, would You do this that we might be changed that You might meet us in our need and help questions about You to be answered. And so we ask this all for Your name. Amen. Well, so I must admit, uh, I got hooked on a show about this time last year. Uh, My friends had told me about it. They said, dude, you got to watch this. you got to check this out. But we didn't and still don't have cable at our house. But then we got Netflix, and then I'm going to tell you what happened. Season 1, Episode 1. I started watching Breaking Bad. Has anybody else watched that show? Oh my gosh. Now listen, before you think that I'm like a heretic or something because I watch Breaking Bad, I realize it's not from everybody and some of y'all shouldn't watch it, but that's okay. However, I think it's a great show for one reason in particular. You ready? Jesse Pinkman. Jesse Pinkman, if you know his story, is one, uh, he com- he's a character that comes from an upper middle class home uh, he has, um, he comes from a, a family of means who's well-to-do, and, and it shows him losing that all, and it all goes away because of a drug addiction that he has. He loses his place in his house, his parents become estranged, 
And while there are great moments of beauty in his life, I must say that in the show, there really are, his is the story of the downward spiral of an enslavement to meth and other drugs. Throughout the show, Jesse longs for freedom in this life. And I want to suggest to you that we get glimpses of that. However, because of the deeper loves and desires in his heart, he is constantly pulled back to that addiction. In the end, listen to this, he runs to all of the things that he thinks will give him real freedom, but they only further enslave him. For him, life and freedom are always elusive, never to be had. Now, why do I share this story with you at the beginning of a series on Galatians? Here's why. Because we're going to see that the entirety of this book is about a radical, complete, scandalous freedom that comes from the message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This book is about freedom and about how to have it. Paul is writing to a church that is on the verge of deep existential, moral, and social enslavement. And he writes to them this heavy word of caution. Paul pulls no punches in it, trying to get them to see that they are on an incredibly enslaving trail. And he is warning them, get off. That is what is going on in the book as its whole. And I want to say this though. This is huge. Paul is saying to his readers and to you and me that there is a good chance that you readers and you and me might not know or may have lost what the Gospel is and means. That is, what his, that is the burden of this passage here tonight. And he is going to tell us this though. He is going to say, take hope, y'all. Take hope because of this. If you want real freedom, the kind that Jesse Pinkman is ever after, and that you and me, if we're honest, really are after too, for all the different things that enslave us, then this message is for you tonight because it comes in no other place but in the Gospel. So Paul goes to links to share with us three incredibly important things. They're on your sheet and you can take a look at them. He is basically going to show us three things. What the Gospel is, what it says, and what it does. Look, y'all, this book is going to say we're all like Jesse Pinkman. We're all in some way longing for freedom. And everywhere we look for it is the wrong place, and it just further turns the key to the cage that bars us in. But there is hope. And that's to where we turn now. So what in the world is Paul getting at when I say that he's going to tell us what the Gospel is? Let's take a look at that. What is the Gospel? Look with me there in those first few verses. Right out of the gate, Paul has a bone to pick with the Galatians. 
In his other letters, if you were to read them, he would spend some time in praise and thanksgiving, but he does none of that here. Instead, look with me at verse 6. He says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to another Gospel. In other words, Paul is shocked, y'all. And the reason he is shocked is because his readers that he has preached the Gospel to are now abandoning that and going to another Gospel. Now, it's important in this moment to ask, what is this Gospel that Paul has preached to them that they're turning away from? Well, the answer can be found in what the word Gospel itself actually means. The Gospel, the word we use for Gospel, literally means true news or good news. And that's very, very important. I want you to see that it is news first and foremost. Therefore, it is about what all news is about, what has happened. If you turn click on your television at 6 o'clock and see the news, you see a broadcaster telling you, right, about what has happened in the day. Somebody got shot over in Dallas or something like that. There was a car crash, you know, on George Bush Tollway. You know, the, the uh, you know, TCU wins their first football game over LSU by, you know, in double overtime or something like that, which I do hope happens, by the way, this weekend. The idea, though, is that news is what has happened. I want you to take this away. That therefore that the gospel of Christ is the news about what He has done. This in turn means two things in particular that the Gospel is not. First of all, it is not news about what you have done. And secondly, it is not advice for you to follow. That is key for you to understand. The Gospel is not advice. It is squarely news. Think about it like this. There is a difference between Brian Williams on the 530 News and Oprah Winfrey's talk show. One is about what has happened, and the other one is advice for how you can have a better, fuller, and more meaningful life. And I'm here to tell you that the gospel is one of those and not the other. There's an old preacher. His name is David Martin, David Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he used to use this illustration to help with this point. See if it rings true with what I'm saying. A king goes into battle against an invading army to to defend his land. If this king defeats the army, he sends messengers back to the capital. They all go back with great joy saying, the enemy has been defeated. It's all been done. Let us all rejoice and live in the peace that has been achieved for us. But if... That king is losing. Do you know what he does? He sends a few remaining men, sends them back to the village, and the message is this. Put archers on the wall. Raise the drawbridge. Make provisions. And fight for your life. Because the battle's coming, and it's up to you to defend off the enemy. Lloyd-Jones says that every other religion, every other one, is one that sends military messengers back to the people saying, if you want to achieve salvation, fight for your life. Do all that you can because it's advice. It's counsel. It is only, it is only 
in, in Christianity that it's otherwise. Every other religion is sending advice saying this. Here are the rites. Here are the rituals. Here's the transformation of the consciousness. And here are the laws and the regulations that you must keep. Here is how you fight for your life. But the Gospel, y'all, is an announcement of what has been done for you. It is news. What does this mean? This means something incredibly profound for you and me. You as a student and me as just a man, a worker, somebody who's just trying to figure out uh, what life is like with a wife and two kids. It means this. It forces you to ask the question, what do I really believe about what is at the heart of Christianity? Do I believe that it's first and foremost news about what has been done for me? Or do I believe that at the heart of Christianity is a message of advice that I must go out and try to do to get God to love me? It will force you to deal with that question. That is one of the implications. Secondly, I want to speak to the non-Christians who are in this room. I want you to know that if you have rejected Christianity on these grounds, that Christianity is primarily about God accepting us because we keep some sort of code of ethics. And you have rejected Christianity on those grounds. I want to suggest to you that Paul is saying that you have not rejected Christianity. We're going to look in a moment at what you have rejected, but it's not Christianity because that's not Christianity. So maybe for the first time, you might come to RUF and hear about what Christianity really is. It is squarely a message about what God has done before, for you before you do anything. It's news. But up until this point, I've not told you what the news is about. I've just said that it's news. Now look, we're going to move into our second point now, taking a look about what the content of that news is. In other words, what does the gospel actually say? Well, I want to turn to uh, one of my theological heroes that helps me think about this. In fact, he's helped shape this whole sermon. He's a pastor up in New York. His name is Tim Keller. By the way, there are some great books in the back back there that I'm not making any money on. They're just resources for you. If you want them, I encourage you to get them. Um, you, can, you can buy them afterwards if, if you want. Um, but Tim Keller mentions this about the gospel. Look with me right here at uh, verse 4. He says, Paul says, "...who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age." Now look, Keller is going to say that the gospel really is something that has to be looked at from, from three primarily different angles. It's one thing viewed from three different vantage points. So imagine watching TCU at LSU as a student in the student section as G-Pat on the sidelines, or as your middle linebacker, I forgot his name. Same game, you're all watching it. If you're here tonight, middle linebacker, I'm really, really sorry. I don't think you are, but uh, by the way, I just say, I would love to meet you, by the way. But anyways, same game, all, it, all viewed from the different vantage point. And here are the three things, Walton, can you forward them as I go? Here are the three things that, that, that Keller articulates what the entirety of the Bible is going to tell us the gospel says. Here it is. First, the gospel is the good news of gracious acceptance. 
It is the good news that you have been made right with God. And this aspect highlights our word that we're going to come back to, our justification. Secondly, the Gospel is good news about changed lives. In other words, this perspective highlights the fact that your life is changed by what has happened up there in the being graciously accepted. This element is what we often talk about as our sanctification. And then lastly, the Gospel is the good news of the new world coming. The Gospel is not just a wonderful plan for my life, but it is a wonderful plan for the entirety of the world. So it's those three things. In short, the Gospel is the good news that God has come back to earth in Jesus Christ, saving individuals and renewing the cosmos. And Paul in this letter primarily deals with this first perspective, justification. The news is that God has done it all. You have done nothing. Done what, you might ask? Well, God in the person and work of Jesus has taken all of your sin, the stuff that would merit you nothing but separation, and this is sobering, and hell for eternity. In the person and work of Jesus, He has taken that for you. And you have gotten His perfectly clean record. His righteousness. You get that. Such that now when the triune God views you, it's as if you are being viewed as if you were Jesus Himself. That is what is going on here. That is what Paul has preached. And that is what Paul, if I may be honest, is so pissed off about in this letter. Because people are turning away from it. Well, what are they turning away from? Here it is. Hang with me because this is huge in this letter. Paul is aware that there are people who are Jewish Christians that are saying, you want to be a Christian? That's great. But before you become a Christian, you got to live up to all the old standards and the old codes of the Jewish law. In other words, Christ is good, but you got to add something to it. And Paul is adamant. He is red-faced saying, you have absolutely eviscerated the Gospel once you add anything to it besides Jesus. In other words, here is the Gospel for you and me. Jesus plus nothing. Nothing equals everything. I'll say that again. Jesus plus nothing is everything. And Paul is saying, all of you are turning away from it, trying to add old kosher laws, add circumcision, add the observance of days, and it's killing the Gospel. Now you and me go, that's great, Ryan, but what's the big deal? Why does that have any relevance in my life? And here's why it has relevance in your life. Because you and me do this all the time. You know why? Because here's what you think. You think, you know what? It's Jesus, and God is really happy with me when it's Jesus, and I stay away from all the bad stuff. You see, if I don't drink or get wasted and Jesus, then God will finally accept me. It's Jesus, and if I don't have sex with my boyfriend, then Jesus will finally love me. It's Jesus, and if I can make the killer grades, then He'll finally have something to do with me. It's Jesus if I come to RUF. It's Jesus 
plus me reading my Bible. It is Jesus. Pl- Any time that you say Jesus plus blank, you have absolutely eviscerated the gospel. And that is what Paul is getting at here. Strong words, I think. Strong words. Because he comes back with a hammer. Now listen, two things that I want to draw to your attention before we move on. This means that there are two errors associated with the gospel. The first is what I'm just going to call a legalism or a moralism. And what is that? It is this. This view says that God will accept me if I do the right things and stay away from the wrong things. And you know what? It's life by the law. Give me a set of rules and I'll try to keep them. And if I do, then God, you owe me. You have to accept me. And here's the thing. that That's what most non-Christians, when they have rejected Christianity, are actually rejecting. Because they see us as Christians trying to live out our lives by keeping all the rules and saying, God's really, really happy with me when I don't do this. God really accepts me when I do this. And they go, I can't keep up. And you know what? They're right. But you know what? That's not Christianity. It's actually what Paul would say is a damnable doctrine. Teach it, and he says here, let you be accursed. That's the first error. The second error is the error of irreligion. And that is this, that true salvation can be found somewhere or anywhere else besides Jesus. It can be found, as it were, apart from those rules and apart from those laws. And here's the problem, that both irreligion and legalism start from the wrong place. They start from the law. They start from the rules. One of them says, I can keep them all. And the other one gives them the finger and says, I'm not going to have anything to do with them. And the problem is, is that when that happens, you're making your basis for your own self-centered, your own self-identity is based on something completely non-Jesus. We're going to look at this all semester long. This is a preview, as it were, of what we'll look at all semester long and what Paul is just going to drive in. Listen, I want you to know this, that the gospel is content, and that is the content that we're looking at all semester long. Paul is going to primarily deal with the first one, the idea of gracious acceptance. He touches on the other ones, but it's primarily this first one about gracious acceptance apart from anything that you do, and that is incredibly good news. Lastly, let's take a look at what the gospel does. You know, if you were to read the letter that, if you would have kept reading what I started reading in the book of Romans, you would have gotten to verse verse 16 in Romans, and Paul says this, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all that are, that to, power of God to salvation to all that are being saved, both Greek and, both Jew and Greek. And here is what Paul is saying. The gospel is power. Now, I don't remember much of college physics, but I do remember this, that power, I think somebody engineering remind me that I think power is a unit of being able to get things, being able to get done. You know what I mean? It's, it's the ability to get stuff, get work done. Okay, is, is that right? Is that like joules over seconds or something like that? I don't remember. Anyways, I'm rambling at this point. Stay on the point, Ryan. Stay on point. Anyways, the point is, is that I want you to know that Paul believes that the gospel actually does something. It effects some sort of change. How do we know that that's what's going on in this text? Well, look with me at verse 10. Paul says this. He has just dropped hammers about what the gospel is. He's just gone after folks. And then he's like, what? Like he just, 
if he were like gospel rapping or something, he just dropped the mic. Okay? And what has happened here? He's like, for what? Am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, I don't care what you think about me at all in light of this message. My duty is to preach this gospel. I don't care what you think of me when I say it. And I want to suggest to you this, that Paul is saying that the gospel that I am preaching has so gone in deep into my own heart that I no longer care what you think about me. That's exactly what he is saying here. Now, a little bit of story from personal experience. You'll get a good laugh at this, maybe. I can remember when I was a sophomore at uh, UT, uh, I had come back to Knoxville, and we were all waiting on school to start, maybe like you did during your sophomore year. And then, using my best college judgment, you know where this is going, uh, some friends of mine and me decided to break into the university swimming pool and then to jump off the 10-meter platform at like, you know, midnight or something like that. So, as I'm standing up there on that 10-meter platform, I'm not a diver by any, like I am not, I cannot do that stuff. But I didn't get the broad idea, you know what? I'm going to backflip off this thing. I've done it in my neighbor's pool. Surely I can do it here, right? Here's the thing. Some of y'all might be looking at me going, he was wasted. (laughs) And you know what? I wasn't. This was done underneath 100% sobriety. So I get my toes on the edge, and I actually do my back one, not one, but my one and a quarter, which means I landed on my side. And as I am in screaming pain from being smacked by this water, I'm floating around in the water with, with no breath left in my lungs, going, why have you just done this? And you know why I did it? It's because I wanted the other bozos to like me. Me in the midst of my own insecurities led me to do something incredibly stupid. I want to show you right there that don't think for one moment, don't think for one moment that what drove me to make a stupid decision was anything else than the power of somebody liking me. I know y'all are like that. Don't think once you get out of high school, peer pressure doesn't matter anymore. Come on. I got some great, you know, real estate property I can sell you in Oklahoma that's right on the beach if you want it. Okay? Listen, here's what Paul is saying. He doesn't care anymore because the gospel that he has preached has taken root in his own heart and it has set him free from the tyranny of other people's opinions. Why would this be practical for you and me? We often think of the Gospels as the ABCs of the Christian life. It's what we believe when we become a Christian. And what Paul is going to say throughout this book is actually the Gospel is the thing that you need for the entirety of your life. Therefore, it is not the A, B, and C's of the Christian life. It is the A to Z of the Christian life. You need it for the entirety of your life as a Christian. Because it and it alone has the power to drive away the opinion of some 20-year-old friends. 
And you need that every second of your life. Listen, think about it like this. You need to know that the Gospel and it alone is the only thing that will get you through the things that are vying for your heart's affections. It is the only thing that will free you from the despair in life when the bottom absolutely drops out. It is the only thing that will give you the resources to deal with not getting in to that particular sorority or that particular fraternity. It is the only thing that will give you the ability to get through any sort of college breakup. It is the only thing that will ever get you through the ability to love the roommate that you are presently fighting with. It and it alone is the thing that will drive you to any sort of change in your life. And that is why Paul is so adamantly set on us knowing what the Gospel is. Many of you know, in December of 2012, Laura, while we were pregnant, or she was pregnant with our girls, had a condition that caused one of them to grow at the expense of the other. It was actually life-threatening for the both of them. We visited with a team of doctors in Houston who told us they were going to be able to fix this condition, giving us the best chance for the survival of both of our little girls. They told us it would be risky for sure, and the odds were that they, were, they would live, but there was a chance that they might not make it. But to perform the surgery meant that we must enter into that risk to be able to heal them. Now, when we came to the doctor and his team, and he explained our condition, he did not, listen, he did not hand us a manual on how to perform the surgery and say, here is what I can help you with. Now go do it. He did not say, here's how you make an incision, so go do it. Rather, while I was standing outside while my wife was in surgery, worrying about the life of my two little girls, a man walks out, he pulls off his surgical cap, and he says, it's finished. It's done. Everybody's okay. The girls are doing great. And so is Laura. I want you to know that Jesus himself is called the great physician. And He comes to us and He heals us and frees us not by asking us to fix ourselves. The great physician brings healing not at the great risk of His patients' lives. The great physician brings life at the cost of His. Do you see that? His death brings our life. Y'all, this is the gospel. And it is the only thing that will bring make or that will get set you truly free. It's the only thing that will ever liberate the Jesse Pinkman and all of us. Believe it and live. Will you pray with me?